everyone, and welcome back to 2020 Psych. I'm one of your hosts, Claire Kay, and I'm joined today by my father. I'll go ahead and let him introduce himself. Hello, my name is Dr. Hernandez. I'm a double board certified psychiatrist. Today we're going to be talking about more vaccine rollouts as well as social anxiety as we all collectively re-enter the social world, our social circles, and just give you guys a bit more insight on that. So... With that, Dad, I want to ask you. Well, I feel we need to talk about um, the new sim just announced today. I think that April first, adults over fifty can are eligible to receive the vaccine, and then April fifteenth, uh, I think it's ages eighteen and over or sixteen and over that can are eligible to receive the vaccine. Can we first? Let's just talk about that, and then I want to ask you about sixteen-year-olds being able to get the vaccine. Well, in California, we're fortunate that there seem to be a, a an increasing supply of vaccines. So that's, of course, is positive. That's something that we wish that the whole world would have could could say the same that they had an oversupply of vaccines. But it was announced that uh, in a couple of weeks uh, that all, all those sixteen and over will be eligible for their vaccines. So that's that's really welcomed. Is it okay for 16-year-olds to get the vaccine? I mean, obviously, if they're eligible, it is, but have, were there trials with 16-year-olds, or do you know anything about that? Yes, there were trials with uh, teenagers 16 and over, and the trials were successful, so that's why it's being uh, allowed to, to be uh, given to that patient population. So, obviously, this is all really exciting news a lot of people are enthusiastic in California. We're in LA County specifically, so I know a lot of people, my peers are, like I said, really excited, a little anxious to, you know, get outside. Uh, but I think we should just talk about what does it mean if you get the va- you get the vaccine and you get your second dose, you're inoculated, what can you and can you not do once inoculated? Well, the CDC tells us that for those that have vaccines, that they can even start dining together uh, in close quarters, indoors. Um, but outside of that, you still need to take precautions with others that are, do not uh, have the vaccine. You still need to wear a mask. You still need a social distance. So those precautions are still in order. So uh, the more people that have the vaccine the less chances there are that that people will be mortally ill from it. So that's that's the of course the positive of the vaccines. So if you're vaccinated, you basically want to continue your bubble. Hopefully, the people within your bubble are also vaccinated, and within that, you're able to have maybe a few more liberties of, oh, we all want to go out to eat together, or we want to. I know you can rent a movie theater. We want to rent a movie theater together. And you can do something like that. But in terms of seeing someone outside of your bubble that isn't vaccinated, that's kind of still not a good idea. No, because you don't know if they're carrying the virus and you may potentially get exposed to it and vice versa. Uh, they, You may be carrying the virus and, and you don't want to infect them either. So it's still a good idea to have... Uh, the precautions that we've been having throughout this pandemic, those aren't quite gone away yet. Do you, and obviously, you know, the 
vaccines are going to open up very soon. Th- basically, this isn't a free ticket of, all right, I can go anywhere now and interact with anyone. It's still very much, you want to kind of be hanging out with people that are vaccinated as well, that are taking similar precautions, would you say? Well, I think that would be prudent. You don't want to f- try to think that life is back to normal pre-pandemic because it's it's not. We're not there yet. We're not even that close to that point yet. Though you do have some extra liberties if you do have a vaccine. But again, you do want to have the same precautions that you did even before you had the vaccine. So you still want to be careful. It's not, the pandemic's not over. Uh, no one has suggested that it is. So but you still need to have uh, those safety precautions that we've talked about. I know that a few USC students were a bit upset on Twitter because USC didn't have a spring break this year. They had a wellness day that landed on a Friday. So basically they just had, you know, a three-day weekend. That was to dis- one, to discourage students from traveling, but two, I think their semester is shorter this year. So they're trying to get in all their academic days, but that still didn't stop some students from taking off to Florida, Miami specifically. And they went, and it's funny because I did see some people like post videos of them in Florida and USC just sent out an email this past week saying that some students tested positive for COVID and the COVID variants. So I think that's another thing that people need to keep in mind is that we have a vaccine for COVID-19 as it stood when it first came about, but there's really no any scientific research that says our vaccines are good for the variants that are popping up. Well, there's some conflicting data. There are some reports that the Pfizer vaccine can be effective for some of the variants, but again, there seem to be more and more variants um, as time co- goes by. So uh, you st- that's precisely why you still want to have the precautions that, that we've been talking about. Another thing I wanted to bring up was we had someone, uh, my sister, who mentioned that she had a friend that had COVID, got in the vaccine, and had some terrible side effects. I think it's important to bring up that even if you've gotten COVID in the past and you get a vaccine, you're still subject to side effects because depending on which vaccine you get, unless it's the Johnson and Johnson, the vaccine isn't doesn't have any COVID strain in it. It's actually that's not what it is at all. Well, the side effect profile seems to differ from almost patient to patient. Some Folks uh, don't have any side effects, uh, and others have pretty severe ones. So it just kind of depends on the look of the draw, you might say. So I know you got the second dose. How do you feel? I know it's been over a week now since the second dose. Do you have any updates on your symptoms, what the withdrawal or the side effects were for you? My side effect profile was actually minimal. I just had a, a bit of a sore arm less so than the first one. So it was really a, a, a pleasant surprise not to really have anything mu- much more than that. I didn't have to take any Tylenol or anything of that sort. And now I want to talk about something that I've mentioned in past episodes of 
I th- uh, just about this idea of social anxiety, increased social anxiety. I had mentioned it in terms of like larger events, like concerts, clubs, like that. But it's seemingly like in my conversations with my peers, and I know you've had a few conversations with people that social people are experiencing a lot of social anxiety just on an individual level of trying to navigate re-entering friend groups um you know if you haven't been around people outside of your household it could be a little jarring this idea of i'm gonna i'm gonna go out and see my friends again we're gonna go to a restaurant or something what do you think people how do you think we could collectively combat that, if at all? Well, that's a good question. I think that for any one of us that are going to reintegrate uh, to sort of our our social uh, circles or even our professional work circles, it it's it's going to be a, a bit of a challenge to sort of readjust to the way things were. Uh, things that so many things have changed so i think that it's people have these feelings that i think are very valid that they're a bit nervous a little anxious a little worried stressed out about how things are going to be when you get back together with uh, your peers or your friends um just being away for so long is going to be pose a bit of a of a challenge for all of us to so to try to make things normal again, you know, having those precautions that we just spoke about earlier. So it's going to be somewhat awkward. Uh, I personally felt, uh, uh, I, I recently returned to my hospital, and while it was a delight to see my coworkers and, and, and truly uh, uh, a good experience in that way, but it was it was a bit different because it's just not the same at, like, like, like it was before. So there are kids even in middle school that are worried about getting sick, about parents are having a dilemma, are the kids just not wanting to go back to school anymore, did they sort of get really comfortable at home, or are they genuinely having fears of getting the virus and that, and therefore are quote-unquote making excuses because they don't want to go back to school. And and I think that those are... that. Kids have valid concerns because they they know what's been going on, and so I, some of them of course may enjoy being at home, others may want to go back. So it's going to be hard to to, to sort of determine what's what's uh, how to deal with it, and I think it's going to be have to be dealt with on an individual basis. Yeah, I think it's going like you brought up kids. I think for kids even more, I'm sure they've seen more than we have during this pandemic because kids are constantly online. They're they're really big on TikTok and I think that's kind of their main platform right now. But I feel like as a growing up right now, if you're a kid and you were in the middle of a pandemic and you know, um, you re- you're at the mercy of the adults to figure things out and keep you safe, keep themselves safe, and kind of tell, guide you through something as unprecedented as a global pandemic. And I think if you're a kid and you have access to social media, you just, there's no denying the reality that our U.S. government specifically has not handled the pandemic in the way that it should. And 
you probably have a family member that was affected by COVID in some capacity. We have. We had a family member affected by COVID. And so going back, the idea of going back to school is probably really daunting because at one end, you are a kid, you want to see your friends, you love hanging out, you have a lot of energy, but then there's also this deadly virus that you could give to your parents potentially if you get too comfortable with your friends and that must be really an antagonizing or yeah to be faced with that as a kid well you're you bring up a good point the kids are at the mercy of the adults but on the other hand we we touched on this on a prior podcast about kids going back to school and potentially catching the virus there from one of their peers. If it's difficult for adults to social distance, I, I, I can only imagine how hard of a task that's going to be for, 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 for children. So recently, some, some pediatric authorities have suggested that newborns from six months to five-year-olds, they need to have a vaccine because they're going to be transmitters of the virus. So if you take your, 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 your young ones to daycare or wherever it is they're going to be getting uh, watched, There, there's a potential for them to pick up the virus and taking it home to you as an adult, as a parent. And while we're lucky in California that that those, the lowering the, the, the age limit, there's a lot of parts in, in the world that young adults don't have access to, to the vaccine yet. So they're going to be exposed to uh, the virus given to them from their own children. So it's been suggested by these the, the these pediatricians that the vaccines get studied in, in in the very young so that they can at some point in all likelihood all have everyone's going to need a vaccine even like even uh, even babies. So uh, th these are studies that are being conducted and we'll hopefully we'll get some results in the near future. I know we talk about, um, well, we're based in, you know, the U.S., California, so that's kind of where all of our news comes from. But do you know anything about the COVID situation in Europe, how they're doing? Um, I know they were doing better than us at one point, and now it looks like there's a surge going on. How does that impact us here? Well, I'm glad that you point that out. Uh, the CDC tells us that the trends of this pandemic in the United States sort of follow Europe by three to five weeks. And as you know, France and Paris in particular is in a lockdown. The Italians are having a resurgence of the virus. They're having a lockdown, as are, as are the Germans. Uh, apparently, the English have a, a bit of a better hold because they've had more access to the vaccine. So, but there are those parts of Europe that the vaccine has not rolled out as smoothly as, as planned. So for us in the States, it's important to realize that if they're having another surge in Europe, we don't want that to happen here. And again, the CDC tells us that, that, usually, that we usually lag a few weeks from, from the Europeans. So again, no one's declared that this pandemic is over. In the U.S., we've been fortunate. Uh, the Israelis are, are as what 
my understanding is that at one, recently up to 55% of their population was vaccinated. And the reason they got so many vaccines because they agreed to give Pfizer the data uh, of, the, of the results of, of their vaccinated uh, uh, patient population. So they're the, the leaders and they have, a, or I, my understanding is that they have a, a, a wonderful, a magnificent healthcare system. And, and so um, it's great that everybody, it, it kind of sounds as though everybody should have their kind of a, a national medicine program but unfortunately, not every do- everybody does, and and so that's a concern for us in the United States and uh, third world countries. As you know, finances have been an issue; they haven't been getting the vaccines, and so we're far away from having from resolving this. I think. I think for, yeah, it's I'm glad I'm glad I brought that up, and it we have to realize that the global community needs to collectively reach like zero to no cases in order for everyone to be back to normal like it isn't as specific as la county cases are going down that's good that's great but take a step back and look at the global community and how's how's the virus doing in certain parts of africa how's it doing in europe how's it doing in asia we have i feel like i haven't heard much about china recently like how's it doing over there and I, I think it'll be interesting to see how this vaccine rollout, uh, how it goes down. Because if I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like I'm sure there's, you have your anti-vaxxers in the U.S., but then also I'm sure there's certain religious groups that might be opposed to a vaccine for religious reasons. So, and that obviously that doesn't keep them from needing one. So it should. I don't know how they're going to do that, how they're going to convince populations like that to get inoculated. Clearly, uh, clergy has been involved in promoting uh, the vaccine rollout as other prominent members of of societies. So uh, that's, of course, a positive thing. And we do want to focus on some of the positives. In the United States, uh, it it was recently announced that in the coming the the month of uh, April, there will be a new f- number of 988, which is going to be the National Suicide Hotline as well as Mental Health Wellbeing um, or Lifeline. So I think that is fabulous news. I think it shows that there's progress, that there's awareness. So those are the three new numbers, 988. Uh, so uh, I'm so happy that uh, mental illness is coming to the forefront in, on a national level, uh, I think that the more access that people have to help, the more that the more people will, that will be reaching out. Uh, as as we all know, uh, mental health is is an area of medicine that has been uh, long neglected. Uh, there needs to be awareness. Hence, the, we have this podcast, uh, and we appreciate uh, listeners that have an interest in the topic because it's very real. Those that suffer from it are truly distraught. And I'm so happy that uh, this new 988 uh, number is is now going to be something that's going to, uh, it's here with us to stay. So that that's really, really uh, 
wonderful news, I think. And when does that become active? It becomes active on April 24th. So that's a big day. That's going to be a historic day for mental health in the United States. Yeah, one thing I also read was that with companies, with employees being able to return to work soon, potentially this year, companies are being forced to provide more resources and make things more available for their workers' mental health, where whether that be access to therapy, healthcare, whatever it is, they're being forced to kind of look at the resources that they don't have available right now and see, okay, like we need to allocate funds for people's mental health because this year collectively took a toll on everyone. And so I, I'm, I like the fact that it is being pushed more aggressively, it seems now. I feel like more people are having more conversations about it. It's kind of in your face more so than ever now. And I think this is overall a great thing. It definitely is uh, good news. Um, what has also recently been com um, come to light is that Unfortunately, patients with schizophrenia have been more prone to uh, be on the, on the receiving end of the ravages of the COVID-19 virus, where they seem to be having a higher uh, mortality rate. And I think that's very sad that this underserved, uh, often neglected uh, patient population uh, has, has been targeted by the virus to the point where it's they're dying in disproportionate numbers. So that was, I think, very sad to, to recently find that out. Uh, my sense was that they would be more resilient uh, because of just being homeless, their immune systems were, or I thought would be stronger. But unfortunately, that the, that theory uh, did not pan out. And the reality is, is that those with severe mental illness seem to be uh, more at risk to, to for the for the lethal effects of the virus. What do you think could have prevented this? I feel that if patients with schizophrenia would have more access to, um, in addition to mental health care, to more uh, medical care. Uh, this is a, a patient population that uh, is often uh, overweight because of the side effects of the psychotropics that they take. Um, they're more prone to uh, become diabetic, hypertensive, hyperlipidemic, and more prone to uh, strokes and heart attacks. So uh, it behooves us that are in the field to not just look after the mental health aspects of our patients, but to the physical aspects as, as well. And, and, and so uh, we need to focus on the overall well-being of our mentally ill, not, again, not just focusing on their psychiatric or psychological care, but on their uh, physical care as well. And where, where did you find this out? Because I know, like you said, like you did kind of hope that the, the severely mentally ill would be almost immune, more resilient to COVID. And when did that, when did you find this out? The, this is recent data that just came out um, a couple of weeks ago. So, again, that was not my the experience that I had serving the, pa the, the pa patient population that I do, but it's been reported across the nation that, that sadly, that, the, that these are the results that have come out. 
Well, that's going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode of 2020 Psych. Thank you guys so much for listening each week. I hope you guys find this information useful. Hope it gives you a bit more comfort in knowing our thoughts. Let us know what you guys think. Feel, please feel free to reach out to us on Instagram at 2020 Psych Podcast. And until then, we'll see you guys next week. And I hope you have a great day wherever you are.